Hey guys, welcome back to Unpopular. A lot to talk about as always. I have Zach Langley Chi Chi from the I'm So Popular podcast back on today. He's reviewing HBO's Last of Us with me and uh, the video game series. And we kind of discuss like the power of gaming as an art form and all of that stuff. It's pretty good. And there are spoilers for The Last of Us Part 2, but you can still listen. It's fine. Like the next season of the show is not going to air for like two years, so you probably would have forgotten. Also, I played through the game twice before I even watched the HBO show, so I knew everything, and um, it actually was interesting to watch the show having experienced the game, so it's fine. Like, you don't need to turn it off for, like, spoilers. I mean, if a show is good, it can stand on its own two feet beyond just, like, plot beats, so it's all good. And The Last of Us Part Two is... It's a very interesting game. It's one of the best sort of games and stories in general. It's really wild. It's so fucking brutal. Anyway, we're getting into that soon, but a few things first. Um, I got a lot of messages on Instagram about Raquel from Vanderpump Rules uh, being autistic now, and she may also be ADHD, so it's a double whammy. I predicted this, of course, but I can't take all of the credit because a lot of you guys also clocked it as well. When I did my ADHD episode on M. Rusciano, being a massive attention whore and, you know, needing the sensory room at the Harry Styles concert because she's been autistic for like three days. Uh, a lot of you messaged me and you were like, I bet Raquel's going to come out as neurodivergent next. And, um, you know, here we are. And she probably is neurodivergent. She gives off those vibes. Anyway, love her. And while all this is going down, uh, Ariana is off to shoot her new Lifetime movie. I saw TMZ talking to her in like a parking lot. I don't know if Ariana called them or not. I assume she did because Raquel also did that. Raquel did like a 10 minute interview in a parking lot outside of a nail salon. And that was definitely staged. I posted about that on IG and um, I thought it was a bad move because it was right before the reunion. Like, bitch, bravo paying you. And like, I don't like to shade Raquel because I'm team Raquel, but like, bravo paying you to come to the reunion and spill this. And now you're like, selling it for a few grand to some photo agency so they can license it out to page six in the daily mail like big mistake but now ariana is basically doing the exact same fucking thing and you know what she looked happy as a goddamn clam she is over the moon every photo and video like people capture of her she's like living her best life which is so funny because then you'll go on twitter and it's like the bravo fans will you know, like, quote, tweet the mid-season trailer. I feel sick. My heart is broken. And then you, like, cut to Ariana and she's like, yeah, I'm filming a new movie. I just got this, like, really lucrative deal with this vibrator company that I'm promoting on IG. And, oh, my God, I have, like, 500,000 new followers now. I'm, like, booked and busy. So relax, guys. Like, it's all good. Um, I actually have a neurodivergent story of my own. So, You know how, like, now I self-ID as Asian, autistic, and having ADHD? Well, 
I've been doing a lot of beauty maintenance before I go off to LA and I started doing Botox finally at my big old age. I did hold off and you know what? A lot of people do think that I've had work because I do look younger than my age, but no, I'm all natural up until a few weeks ago. So I'm doing Botox. I've started doing this other thing called Profilo, which I highly recommend. And I got my teeth bleached, which was just a torturous like nightmarish experience. I do not recommend that. Never get your teeth bleached. It's it's a living hell. I mean, do the at-home trays. Don't sit in the chair and get it bleached. It's horrific. And um, I also got this like painful blackhead extraction facial, which I usually do anyway, because, you know, I'm a guy and guys have big pores and it's like a hot mess. But anyway, I was doing that and that was like quite painful. She was scraping it out like a fucking Dr. Pimple Popper YouTube video. And during all these procedures, I was like gripping my phone so tightly as like a stress ball because it just like really fucking hurt and I needed to grab something. And I'm like, I really, really need to just like buy an actual stress ball. So I have it for these situations, especially if I'm going to, if I'm going to be doing more, you know, needles and things jabbing in my face to, you know, remain young and beautiful forever. So I hit the streets to find a stress ball and it was so hard to buy one. Like they're just nowhere. Like, I thought in this age of everyone being neurodivergent, either because they're attention whores or, you know, they've eaten too much McDonald's and been on TikTok too much and it's scrambled with their brain chemistry and now they're sort of, you know, deficient somehow. I was like, the streets must be lined up with sensory toys and fidget spinners and stress balls and just all types of things for people. And I could not find anything anywhere. And like, I started getting, like, pretty pissed off. By the time I was in, like, the third store, I wanted to have kind of, like, a Karen shopping mall freak out. Like, you know that viral video of the trans guy? And he's like, it's ma'am. My name's ma'am. Don't call me sir. And it's, like, this huge trucker with, you know, some dyed blonde hair in jeans and smeared lipstick screaming at some like terrified cashier like I wanted to do that I wanted to be like this is a disgrace don't you know how many queer people with ADHD commit suicide every year like I was ready to have my like victim freak out meltdown and then I finally found a store that sold things it was actually like the reject shop, which in Australia is like our version of Dollar Tree. None of the like mainstream department stores or like gaming stores or anything had this shit. And once I like found it, then I just bought way too much stuff. Like <laughs> I was like, I got um a Rubik's Cube. I got Play-Doh, which I have to like try not to eat because I haven't played with Play-Doh since I was a child. You know, when you're a kid, then you like start eating the Play-Doh because it tastes salty and nice. As soon as I took the Play-Doh out of the tub and squished it in my hand, I'm like, oh, I just want to, like, lick this Play-Doh so bad. But I've been resi- – I haven't done it. Trust- I-, I promise you I have not licked the Play-Doh, but I am playing with the Play-Doh right now. And when I get a whiff of that, like, salty goodness, I sort of, like – I do want to lick it, but I haven't done it. The only gross thing I've licked is when – I don't know if I've told you this story before, but when I went to see Justin Timberlake do the – Which tour was it? I think it was the Future Sex Love Show, which was like his biggest tour. And I went to it twice. And one of the nights that I went, I got this special seats that were in, like, I think they were like $800 or something, a ticket, which I think now that would be more. I think in today's money, it would probably be like $1,500 a ticket. 
and it was like a stage that was built. No, no, it was a bar that was built into the stage and they would like give you drinks and then he and the band and stuff would like dance on the bar in front of you and he high-fived me and his hand was sweaty when he high-fived me. So, yes, I did lick my hand. So, I've actually tasted um, Justin Timberlake's sweat. But anyway, I bought the Play-Doh. I bought a Rubik's Cube. I bought this green like squishy toy and you can like squish it around but then you can also like stretch it out it's like a gumby type thing so i got that i got this other ball that it's another squishy ball kind of like a stress ball but it has some kind of liquid inside it so i have to make sure i don't drop it on the floor because then chunky will totally like burst it and then whatever like toxic waste is inside will probably kill him but it's a squishy ball but it's like hairy it's like rubber rubber hairs and you know what it feels really nice and then i was like playing with that toy and like stroking like the hairy rubberness and i was like you know these autistic people like they're kind of onto something like it does feel nice to touch these like sensory toys and like play with play-doh and stuff so i feel like um i'll have a lot to play with on the plane to la um Yes, I'll be very occupied. What else is going on? I am worried that something bad is going to happen. Not that my flight... I feel like now that I've talked about going to States and basically ever since I had the podcast, I've talked about wanting to go to America and all of that, find American man. It's been like a whole journey. And now that I've been talking about it so much and I'm making plans, I feel like something will happen where I won't be able to go. Like, I'm going to be in the fucking line. They'll be like, oh, actually, you didn't fill out form 97B and, like, tick this box so, you know, we can't let you on board. Like, I feel like something like that is going to happen. Um, So let's see. But you know what? The universe at times does conspire to sabotage me. Actually, speaking of sabotage, you know who else is trying to sabotage me? My mother. She is fear-mongering about LA. It's like ridiculous and the closer that it gets like the more outrageous she is about it like i haven't really talked to her that much about the trip because they just first of all it's boring like i don't like talking about my plans like i went to a family wedding uh like a month ago which was nice and like i had a good time but before i was going i'm like oh am i gonna have to like tell 40 people in a row like my travel plans you know just to make small talk and be so annoying but my mom is like um, she came over this morning actually and she's like, Oh, there's this place called like Camden. And I was like, You mean Compton? And she's like, You're not going there, are you? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm going to Compton. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go to fucking Compton. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go hang out with like MS13. Like, I'm gonna be in fucking West Hollywood. I'm not going to Com- I'm going to the hood. Like, it's just so stupid. And she just keeps bringing up things like that and but then she gives bad advice too because um, she's like, oh, I, like I looked up the public transport and you can get a bus from here. I'm, like, I'm not getting a bus in LA. Like, girl, that's uh, I'll get stabbed on the bus. Like, so she doesn't even understand what she's talking about. But anyway, it's just absurd. And then she's telling me to get like a special um, bag hold. I've got two. I mean, I've got multiple bags, but you know, my smaller like carry on bags, and I've got. I've got like a backpack and then I've got like a sports bag and she's telling me I have to get one that goes like crossbody. And I'm like, why? And she's like, oh, if you get it with this special material, like people can't cut it. Like someone's going to like run out and like cut the strap on my bag and race off with my bag. Again, I'm not in the hood. I'm not going to like Sudan. I'm not going to like Venezuela in like some fucking village wearing Gucci from head to toe. Like I'm going to be like trying to hang out with housewives and shit. Like I'll be fine. Um, 
So it's just very annoying. It's just a negative spin on everything. Even when I got my teeth bleached after I came back, that that erases the enamel on your teeth. It's like you can't just say, oh, yeah, your teeth look good, you know. It's like, no, the enamel's going to go and you're going to, like, look like a mess. So whatever. Um, there's a lot of good TV at the moment, so I almost feel like it's a bad – like, podcast-wise, it's not a good time for me to hit LA because – Love is Blind is out. You guys know that's my favorite. I will be reviewing season four. I just, it might not be in the timeliest manner that I would like. Um, Succession's back, my other favorite show. Yeah, literally my two fucking favorite shows, Love is Blind and Succession, back at the same time. There's a new reality show on Netflix called Outlast that I'm dying to watch. I haven't started it yet, so I know I'm going to be like just addicted to it, but it's like that History Channel show alone where they drop them in the wilderness, the survivalists, and, you know, they have to survive by themselves and they film themselves on GoPros and stuff. And it's like such a good show. But this one takes that, but it actually like puts them all together and then they all have to like backstab each other. So it's kind of like the real rawness of alone, but then more of a survivor, like traders kind of thing. It just looks so fucking good. I don't know if it's real or fake. I mean, we don't trust anything these days when it comes to these shows, but very excited to binge that. The Ultimate Girls Trip is out. I did actually already kind of review the first three episodes on Patreon, um, and I am glued to the Gwyneth Paltrow ski trial. I am a big Gwyneth fan, but I also don't care about trials and like criminal trials and what i mean i don't think hers is a criminal trial whatever the word is for you know it's just that whole true crime thing it's not my scene but like i love this trial because it's a frivolous lawsuit okay wait here's my take on it as someone that just like skims the headlines and then watch sort of like her you know 90 minute time on the stand okay but from my understanding it was years ago she was skiing somewhere fancy some loser barreled into her back and like spread her legs open with his skis by accident but like she thought she was being sexually assaulted and then she was like you crashed into my back like what the fuck like she screamed at him as you would like hello you just crashed into me on the ski slope and three years like nothing happened then three years later he realized oh that that woman i crashed into on the slopes was gwyneth paltrow so now He's put this, like, fake-ass lawsuit against her, acting like he has all these injuries because he ran into her. And then she's, like, countersuing for $1, just symbolically, because she's like, actually, no, just because I'm famous and I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, you're not going to, like, take me to the cleaners for some stupid fake-ass lawsuit. Because I was, like, wondering at first, when I was seeing the headlines on Daily Mail and everything before I read into it, I thought, like, she had done something bad, and then I was a bit like, oh, this isn't good timing, because I actually had been on Instagram, like, defending her over her bone broth diet, and, like, leave her alone, like, you know, she's healthy, like, you know, you're all fucking fat, you're just jealous, so I'd been, like, going hard for her, and then I see her in the headlines in this court case, I'm like, oh, no, like, did I, like, back the wrong horse? I mean, I didn't back the wrong horse, but I just thought it's not going to be a good look if she's, like, done something terrible, and now she's doing this tone-deaf trial, but... Then as I'm watching, I'm like, no, she's a badass bitch. She's so fucking real. She's so cool, calm, and collected on the stand. Everybody's, like, so intimidated by her, and she just, like, doesn't give a fuck. And you can tell she's totally telling the truth from what I can see. I believe everything that comes out of her mouth, she's standing up for herself, and she's just got all these great one-liners where she's like, I missed half a day of skiing, and it's fabulous. And people hate Gwyneth Paltrow, and they always have – 
And it's pure jealousy because she's rich, skinny, white, privileged, and she's not ashamed of it. And she's never been ashamed of it. And she's always she's always lived as her authentic self, which is just a rich, skinny, white bitch that knows she's got it going on and she doesn't care. And she has a charmed life. She's not ashamed of it. She's not fucking annoying. She doesn't care that you are upset that she named her kid Apple. Remember that? Everyone was so outraged. Apple, what a ridiculous name. It's actually like such a sweet, like pretty name. Like I never really understood the furor over her calling her kid Apple. What apples are like lovely and sweet and like one of the nicest fruits. Like it's really pretty name. Um, When she did goop, people flipped out. I can't afford goop. Yeah, it's not for you. It's for like rich people. Like why are you so triggered by goop? That doesn't work. This is hocus pocus woo woo. Okay. Like as if you don't like waste your money on stupid things and do things that don't work all the time. I mean, you took like five vaccines, but you're upset over um, goop. Like it's just ridiculous. Um, when she consciously uncoupled with Chris Martin, people hated that. What? Because she has an amicable separation with her partner and they like co-parent flawlessly. I mean, I don't know if they're back together or what. I don't really follow her personal life like that. I just sort of follow her like interview sound bites and she's always right about everything. And she's a great actress as well. And she's beautiful. Um, you guys are just haters and she's not ashamed of it. And this trial has just taken her into pure icon status and i believe she will win and she should win and um yeah gwyneth all day so get on youtube and watch the whole unedited footage of her on the stand because it's just incredible Anyway, let's like get into things. Um, There is a new Patreon episode. So I had Jess from the Hot Takes and Deep Dives podcast back on my Patreon because we broke down that Heather McDonald versus Megan Weaver feud, which was very fun because it was such like niche internet drama. Um, So we talked about that and we talked about the Ultimate Girls Trip Season 3 and we talked about other stuff. That is on Patreon. The link is in the show notes or the link is in my bio on Instagram. It is patreon.com slash unpopularjp. Also, I need to give a shout out to my uh, new patrons, which I am supposed to do every week, but I think because I I've been slack with it because I've been like not as scheduled with the podcast. You know, I used to be like militant every Monday it has to come out. And now I'm a little bit like, I need to have a life and not be chained to this. So sometimes I forget to do my shout outs. You know, half of you probably subscribed, then unsubscribed, whatever. You're getting a shout out anyway. Um, So thank you to everyone subbing. Uh, Lauren, Elizabeth, Madeline, Lindsay, Girl, I cannot pronounce your names. Cerise? Let's go with Cerise. Heath, Megan, Anna, Vula, Person. Someone didn't want to use their name. Lisa, Molly, Audrey, Anna, Ansley, Janet, Katie, Georgie, Sean, Jasmine, Toronto, Michelle, Diane. Can't pronounce that one either. Sorry. Um, Sham, Savannah, Julie, Becca, Luella. We love that, Luella. Stephanie, Chris, Cheryl. Um, Huge apologies if I missed anybody. I think I may have, to be honest. Um, But you know what? I love you. I love the support. Um, You guys are great. I've said this a bunch of times. The the Patreon has paid for my trip to LA because I am really bad with money, mostly because I just eat out all the time because I can't cook and I'm fucking useless. And you know what's so good? (laughs) I was realized this. Because I've just, I've not been, I've not been good with my money and I've not been good with my diet either because I was meant to be like... I'm going to come to LA like shredded and girl, we just cannot get the eating under control. Um, It's a real issue, but 
I was thinking, I'm so glad that I'm staying with a friend for most of my time in LA and that I'm staying with Shallon in Montana um, because I totally could not afford like three weeks of hotels <laughs> in the States. <laughs> like, no way. So, you know what? Thank God for good friends. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Um, enjoy the Last of Us chat. And I think unless something changes, you should get one more episode from me. Actually, wait. You'll get an episode from me in the middle of my trip, but I will be doing updates from LA on Patreon. So, yeah, you've got a main, you've got one more episode coming on the main feed during my trip, which I'll be pre-recording and releasing, and then it's LA Diaries on Patreon. So, thanks, guys. Bye. Oh, no. Yeah, no, 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 it did, it did, no, it did. Oh, okay. I'm just, like, laughing at us, always having, like, mic problems I know. and stuff. As professional um, podcasters, it's I, ridiculous. It's it's a nightmare, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I mean, it's about the content, not the audio quality. Wait, how are you, by the way? We've, like, we've been rescheduling this so many times, it's so fun. I know, this week has been really chaotic for me, because my friend from Okinawa is visiting and, like, staying in my house, and, like, we've been drinking really hard, and then on top of that... um. Like we recorded like a maybe like a five hour episode about Amano Namie. So that's amazing. And it took like two nights to finish it. So it's been a messy week. But here we are. I um I cancelled on Wednesday because I got my teeth bleached, which was horrific. I, have you ever done it before? No. It's pure fucking torture. It is awful. I didn't actually, I didn't understand how expensive it would be. And I didn't understand how it would feel. I mean, they put you back in the chair. They like clamp your mouth open. Mm. They have to stuff all this like cotton and material in your mouth. So the bleach isn't going to like touch your gums or the sides of your mouth or anything. And they paint your lips and stuff. And then they put the bleach over your teeth and then they stick this other contraption in your mouth with like a UV light that activates the bleach. And you can feel it burning and then it makes your like teeth sensitive. So it goes in waves and then you've got to do like three sessions of that. And they go for like fifth and you can't move or anything. And then after I was like on painkillers and stuff, like I'm when I messaged you that night, I'm like, Oh my God, can we like reschedule? <laughs> like so much pain. Is it expensive? Yes, it was. And I didn't, I didn't ask the price at first. Cause I just, I don't know, I just didn't think it would be that much. And it's um, $950. (laughs) And I was like, girl. But the good thing is I get health insurance at my work that covered like a huge chunk of it. So I was like, thank God. Your health insurance covered your teeth bleaching. I love that. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think she had had to do a – I think there might have been some creative accounting, but Mm – Yes, we love that. Okay, let's get into let's it. Let's do it. Um, hey, guys. Uh, welcome back to Unpopular. I'm joined by returning guest Zach Langley Chi-Chi. He's an American drag queen in Japan. He's my friend. He's a video game enthusiast. He is the host of the art and culture podcast, I'm So Popular. Welcome back, Zach. Hey, girl. Konnichiwa. That was a great introduction to me. You got it. Look at you go. <laughs> I'm good at introductions. It's all, all these years at the Daily Mail. Um, we're here to talk about The Last of Us. We're talking about the recent HBO series. We're talking about the 2013 PlayStation game and its very controversial 2020 sequel, The Last of Us Part 2. So, 
This game is like widely considered to be one of the greatest video games ever made. It was a huge turning point in video game storytelling because it was a lot more character driven instead of just like basic plot beats. It was extremely rich thematically. You know, the main theme really being kind of like an examination of the human condition and how to live a meaningful life and how love can turn you into a monster and all of that big stuff that happens a lot in the zombie genre. Like they always examine these kinds of things, but I feel like this kind of did it in a very different way, especially with the shock ending. There's a lot of big moral and kind of philosophical questions throughout. And it really puts you in the shoes of these characters and inside of all of their moral dilemmas throughout, especially at the end of the first game, like I said, which is just a shocker. And I mean, even worse in part two is like insane, which we're going to get into. And it, it wasn't the first AAA game to like establish video games as art at all. I mean, there's Metal Gear Solid, there's Silent Hill 2, there's even like the Resident Evil series. But the way that I kind of think of it is like Resident Evil is your blockbuster B-movie franchise. Silent Hill is sort of your art house, like psych horror. And then The Last of Us is your like flawlessly made Oscar winning mainstream, like Coen Brothers, Fargo, you know, it's mainstream, everyone can enjoy it, but, like, it has some substance. There's some meat on the bone. So, um, do you remember your first experience playing it? Yeah, I played it in college, actually, because I was doing nothing at the time in my sophomore year, and I started getting back into video games a little bit, actually because I wanted to play Silent Hill 2 again um, for, like, the first time in several years. So, I uh, invested in a PlayStation 3, or I guess it was a 4, I don't remember, maybe it was a 3, but... um it was a four. And I, like, streamed the horrible, like, Silent Hill, like, remaster. <laughs> and I had friends being like, you have to play The Last of Us. So I played the remastered version of the first one. And I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, kind of generic at first. Like, the first several hours of the game feels like, you know, it could be from kind of like even a Resident Evil or like a Valve game. And I wasn't all that impressed until like the ending of the first game that I found so shocking and philosophically intense and morally confounding that it was really exciting to me to see this extremely manicured, um, perfectly presented, expensive video game that also fundamentally makes extremely innovative and challenging narrative choices. I really was so blown away. I think it really is the ending where it all clicks. Because, yeah, you're playing through. I mean, it's really well made Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the combat and the scares. And I'm a big zombie fan anyway. Like, I love Resident (laughs) Evil and stuff. So, any kind of zombie games, even the shitty ones, I'll usually give a chance. Um, I mean, kind of most things zombie-related I'll at least, like, dip into to give them a chance. But, yeah, with that, the ending, it definitely was, like... I just remember being stunned. I mm. couldn't I couldn't believe a video game had an ending like that. Um, and now 10 years after the console release, The Last of Us was turned into a HBO series starring uh, sexy poppy Pedro Pascal <laughs> as Joel, who everyone, he's like the new like Twitter bay now. Like <laughs> everyone wants to bang him. And Bella Ramsey as Ellie. I think it... Um, it's definitely not a perfect series, but I I feel like it's kind of safe to probably call it the greatest video game adaptation ever made, if only just because, like, the bar is so low. Mm. So, 
there's there's never really been any good ones. I mean, it was a very faithful telling of the story. They only changed kind of a few things, but I feel like just the attention to detail and everything was so stunning. Like I remember watching the first episode and I think they were wading through one of the sort of broken, burned out buildings and you could see like the the moss and the trees and everything. It's like overgrown and the rubble and the concrete. And I'm like, oh my God, this like, they have like nailed this. Cause this is like, this is a huge budget, which also video games, movies don't seem to get. And they're like the one medium that like you really actually need to like throw the kitchen sink at it mm-hmm. in terms of budget. And a lot of the time they don't, and they'll do like green screen crap and it just looks horrible. Um, it looked beautiful. And I do have to say, like, it definitely didn't touch the games, games part one and two for me, like at all. And I hate to be the annoying person that's like, the games are better, like every five seconds, mm-hmm. but they definitely were better. And for me, it actually kind of like drove home that TV, like when a video game is done right, like TV really can't compete with it. Like there's a level of immersion with the gaming medium that you can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And um, there was like a weird snobbery I felt like to online and people that don't game that were like kind of like dismissive of the games. Like, well, they can't be that good. Um, and I'm kind of like sad that not everyone is a gamer and kind of like hasn't experienced sort of like playing through The Last of Us and getting to that ending or playing through like Silent Hill 2, you know? Right. Well, I think the thing that's so special about The Last of Us is that a lot of the tense narrative and thematic choices of it rely on the fact that the gamer, (laughs) this was such a stupid word, the player has to like put the actual command into the controller and press the button to perform the action. And it's one of the only games I've ever played that uses that sort of interaction of you controlling the character and immersing yourself in that way to make its points. And so, yeah, I really liked the HBO adaptation and I I love, like, the diorama, like, CG sets that they use. I thought those were, like, really, like, glamorous. And it was refreshing to see something that is honestly just kind of simple. Like, it's not all that complicated. It's kind of from A to B. But on top of it being, like, simple, it is so expensive and plush. And it's, like, it honestly felt like a glamorous, like, TV show because of just how much money was going into it. And that was my favorite part about it. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. But, like, I feel like the simplicity, because, like, they cut out a lot for the TV series. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, the fact that you don't have those hours playing the game of, like, rifling through fucking drawers trying to find loot and just, like, going through these never-ending hospitals and stuff with, like, you know, Ellie by your side, it... I I didn't develop the same kind of bond for the main characters that I did playing the game. Like, I remember playing the game, and by the time you kind of get to that last third when, like, Joel's incapacitated on death's door and you have to play as Ellie for the first time, like, hunting deer and the the wind and the snow is, like, blowing and, you know, she's, what, still, like, 14 in there. Mm -hmm. You're so fucking deep into it at that point that it just... it, It just brings, like, a feeling that you just, like, can't get... I mean, look, I know someone... Um, for a few years ago that actually they played the game and they got Ellie like tattooed on their arm oh, and they, yeah. <laughs> named their, they named their daughter after oh, her. My God. Like obviously a straight guy, a straight guy from like a small town would do that. That was probably at a particular age when he played the game for the first time. Um, but 
you know, I can't imagine anybody watching the TV series and then having that same level of kind of intense affection for the characters, you know? Yeah, and I mean, people really got so... They had really intense relationships with this game. I think because it is one of, like, the first, you know, AAA blockbuster masterpieces that, like, honestly did, like, uh, create such a, an emotional, like, characterization that's, like, so fully lived in. When gamers who don't really have a lot of emotional sophistication and media literacy, they became so, like, sucked into this game. So it doesn't surprise me at all that there's, you know, straight guys getting Ellie tattooed on them and naming their daughter that, like, at all. You know what's so interesting is, like, yeah, you say they don't have media literacy or anything, which is so true because... That was evident when part two, which we're going to get into, but when part two and it had like all of this backlash because it was such a much more ambitious kind of story mm-hmm. and it like subverted things in a way that they kind of, they couldn't cope with. Whereas like the simplicity of the first game of just Joel looks after Ellie and like finds himself, you know, right. um, it kind of changed it. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I would have liked the show better if I hadn't played the games or not. I don't know. The show, to me, it almost felt like I was watching kind of like DVD extras of something that I already loved and was very connected to. Mm. And then it was like, oh, here's some like fun bonus content of this thing that I already enjoy. And I thought Pedro Pascal was like so good as Joel, even though like in the games originally, Joel seems to be a direct ripoff of Gerard Butler, like to the point where I'm like, could Gerard Butler like sue them? This is almost like copyright infringement. Like you <laughs> literally just recreated Gerard Butler, probably without paying him. But Pedro was like, great. Bella Ramsey, we talked about this a little. I don't know if it was on your podcast or last time mm-hmm. you were on here to talk about Gwen Stefani with me or if it was off air, but we, talk- <laughs> we talked about Bella's casting as Ellie. Um, okay. I, I, okay, so I, my, what do I my feelings it, it, transformed <laughs> about this as well because honestly, in the first two episodes, like watching her just like kind of like stumble around, like being an annoying, feisty little cunt, like it was with her face, it was kind of like a struggle to like, get through the first two episodes. But I realized towards the end of the season that that was actually such a genius piece of casting because she does have that like kind of uh i don't know not appealing look about her you do feel distant from her at the beginning of the season but the more time we spend with her you do kind of grow to love her and it's interesting to see like they kind of recreate that same experience in the game into the hbo series through her casting and she really acted the house down in that like penultimate episode like i think she's a star and she looks normal when she's like not in this role like when she's on like talk shows and stuff she looks pretty and i like when she does like a little makeup look and her long brown hair like she looks good but they really like butched her up for this homophobia oh my god like no straight up like when you look at her in like game of thrones or whatever like i'm like oh she she's like looks like a cute little girl and then whatever they did to her in last of us it was like i honestly to me it was like the most shocking casting in like television history i mean it took i every time i watched the episode i thought about it and i'm like you whereas yeah it, i liked the challenge and these games do challenge you in different ways mm-hmm. and i thought that was kind of genius but it was i it was the most shocking bewildering casting in television history for me and I kind of had like a little revelation at the end, and I don't know if this is intentional, but 
Okay, obviously the way they styled her, and I'm not the only person saying this, she looked a little like, she looked special, she looked a little alcohol fetal syndrome or something. Okay, she, girl, she just had the special look to yeah, her. She's got a special and look about her. <laughs> she had to- she's been touched by an angel. <laughs> she was and on the final episode they do like a flashback to her mother giving birth to her because they kind of explain why she is immune to the cordyceps zombie virus and basically her mother was bitten by one of the zombies when she was giving birth to her and then it was like growing in her brain and then i'm like if you had the like i'm not even being shady it sounds like i'm trying to be funny if you had like a tumor thing growing in your a zombie tumor growing in your brain from a you were a baby You'd be a little special. So I oh kind of God. felt like, <laughs> was she meant to look? No, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think that's not. the 4D chess cast. No, that's the 4D, the 4D chess <laughs> casting. <laughs> the 4D chess casting is not just because they styled her to look. <laughs> I can't. That is so funny. I mean, she does. You know, the other thing is that whether it's intentional or not, which it definitely isn't. <laughs> I think that you would look kind of fucked up if you're, like, born post-apocalypse in a fucking shed on the floor and your mom has to, like, cut the cord and, like, you're, like, being held there and then you have to grow up in (laughs) the most miserable conditions. Like, you would probably, like, look weird. You wouldn't be hot. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't be hot. There's no hotties and baddies running around in the zombie apocalypse of The Last of Us, because this is very nitty-gritty realism. It's not like Resident Evil where everyone is boots, boots, boots all the time. Yeah, everyone's like a model in Mm -hmm. Resident Evil. Yeah, I I think it's also, it's like the expectation versus reality kind of meme. I mean, I don't think that I would have even looked twice at her and thought she looks, you know, a little off if I hadn't played the... (laughs) If I hadn't played the game, because the thing is, the game's... She's like, she looks like she's going to grow up into like the next Angelina Jolie. Oh, she's like, so gorgeous. She's like, be- <laughs> she's like a model. That she's 14 like year old girl stunning. Is so gunted down in the game. I like, I, especially in the second game, she is such a fascinating visual presence. Like, I, like, I'm holding the copy of The Last of Us Part Two on PS4. This image of her is like everything to me. It's just so magic. And yeah, you're right, because she looks like an actual 14-year-old girl and not Angelina Jolie in the making. <laughs> like, it does kind of shock the senses, doesn't it? I know, because, I mean, like I was saying, like, we're so connected to the game, mm-hmm. but it's just wild. And then they, they did a lot of diversity casting in this, which, of course, you know, diverse casting always gets backlash anytime. Sometimes it's justified. Sometimes it's just a ridiculous kind of, like, culture wars overreaction. The diversity casting in this was just kind of bizarre because it was like, so they made Joel and Tommy, his brother, um, like, Latin, for some reason, which is fine. But then he has a black daughter. So he's Latin with a black daughter. And then, because in the games, obviously, he's white. Yeah, she's got, like, she's got, like, an afro. Yeah, she she literally's got, like, you know, like, the classic, like, late 2010s, like, commercial, like, of, like, a black girl, like, eating a french fry, like, inside some, like, really clean space. And she's got her hair all the way out here. She looks exactly like that. She looks like she's 3D printed. She's like a Kmart commercial child model. Exactly. And by the way, she's much closer to the video game Ellie, just in terms of being like a child model, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was so weird that they just 
the way they cast Ellie and then they left her white because I'm like, Ellie's the character that, like, we don't really know who her parents are. Like, she's an orphan. Like, you could literally make her anything. You could make her, like, a little Asian girl or something and, like, it wouldn't, like, change the story or anything. But I'm like, you made, like, this person Latino and then this person black and, like, switched everyone around. Then you just, like, left Ellie white, which I thought was just... What a missed opportunity. I feel like... They could have cast Hirata Yurina Techi from Keikizaka 46 as Ellie. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would actually be like a slay. That would slay, actually. (laughs) It's just like, I feel like these diversity casting Uh ones, they just like never really make much sense. Like, because you try to make sense of it and you're like, well, why was this one switched? And it just like doesn't. And you know what? I will say that um, rampant diversity in television, it does shock me because. Obviously, like, I'm older, I'm 35, I grew up with more, like, racially segregated casting, Mm -hmm. and then by the time they started adding more diversity into just, like, mainstream shows, I wasn't watching them. Like, I'm not tuning in to watch, like, the Netflix um, Gossip Girl reboot or something. Like, I don't really go anywhere near that. And then still when I'm watching things, I was thinking about it, a lot of the stuff that I watch is still racially segregated, whether it's, like, a Korean drama or I'm watching, like, the Ms. Pat show on BET Plus. Mm -hmm or I'm watching, like, Succession or, like, Mad Men. And then when I get a glimpse of, like, one of these mainstream shows, sometimes, like, a gossip girl, like, it's just, like, it's, like, jarring to me because it, in my mind, I've gone from, like, everything being white to, like, it wasn't, like, a gradual phase yeah. for me. <laughs> so it's just everyone's, like, transgender and disabled and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like we're, and the... the the families are like pieced together of all different races, and they're one like this family. This that's not a real family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the thing that's really funny to me is that the diversity casting is like so cosmic and out of control that it actually like ends up becoming like more reactionary. Like the more they throw people of every like culture into these things, like they completely just do a horseshoe theory and loop all the way back around. Because, for instance, in, like, The Last of Us, they really diversify up that, like, family, the the, the rebels in, what was it, Philadelphia? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they added, like, lots of women and, like, women of color. And, <laughs> like, then when they have, like, this big freakout in, like, the second part of that, like, little storyline, it has all of this imagery of these rebels like mercilessly rioting in the streets and like killing cops and they are literally characterized as like blm rioters because of this diversity like this diversity casting and then it becomes like anti-blm like because of what they've done it's so funny (laughs) <laughs> like you should have just left you should have just left them white so they'll look like yeah like insurrection yeah, they'll look like the january sixers and that's what you are supposed to be doing if you're like this you know liberal show or whatever so i love the diversity casting just like explode i feel like the same thing is happening in the scream movies too but i haven't watched the new one yet I'm i haven't like, either I it's didn't... not out yet i don't really care fuck that yeah, I don't care either. But then people are like, it's actually really good. But I feel like um, this is like a tangent, but I kind of feel like out of all the, out of all like the horror, the horror gays, like the scream gays tend to be the dumbest on average oh, just in terms of their taste in like, <laughs> they're like the rock bottom of the horror gays. Oh, yeah. So Because that's um, like for people who the- don't even watch horror, it's like people who watch mm-hmm. scream are like little, you know, 14 year old, like gay guys, you're like, man, they like, don't, <laughs> no, no media literacy at all. They're just like, I like that one. <laughs> 
I do think the the I, I feel like the original is like incredible though. Like I fucking love the original, but like everything else, like I just don't care that much. I love I Scream. It. I love Scream Two, and I love Scream Four. Scream Four is everything to me. But yeah, Scream Four was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. Scream Four was good. Um. Okay, I we we're not gonna have time to talk about every fucking episode of Last of Us, but I kind of want to talk about probably the two most controversial ones, really, which is the Bill and Frank. Which actually, it's the two gay episodes. It's the Bill and Frank episode, and then the teen lesbo shopping mall episode. Um, Bill and Frank got backlash for being woke from like the Daily Wire crew and stuff, but. It was funny because I think Shapiro. it was was it the New Yorker. Yeah, they were not they were not happy. Like they they were on their like YouTube shows. The Why next are day there packets like- on my screen? They were so mad. Oh my god, that week of reactions where it was just like Ben Shapiro like talking out of his hole about how like where are the zombies in my zombie show? <laughs> like where the fuck? As if he gave a shit. Oh, as if, like, can you I imagine Ben care. Shapiro playing The Last of Us Part 2? Like, can you uh, picture him finishing? Oh no way, girl. <laughs> Absolutely he would not. Throw, he would throw a tantrum in the fucking the bigot sandwich scene. He would just lose it. But, yeah. no, it, it was a very annoying week of discourse because then you also had, like, the woke fans that were like, it's surpassed the video game. And I'm like, no, it hasn't, just because it's a big fag episode. Like, doesn't mean it's better than the video game. Um, so I was very annoyed, but like, I think it was either New York Times or the New Yorker. One of them did this sort of interesting article about why aren't conservatives backing The Last of Us more? Because it's actually like a kind of a conservative show in like so many of the themes. Like, yeah, it has some like diverse casting, but outside of that, I mean, Bill, the gay guy, I mean, Bill was a gay conspiracy theorist, doomsday prepper who was like proven right about all of his conspiracies and was like living his best life while, you know, the libtards world went to shit. Like he's, should be an icon of conservatism and it just went over the heads completely. Yeah, like how the fuck do they miss in a scene where it shows like a mass grave of all of like the covidian people that they <laughs> like massacred like it is so literally like anti everything that we've struggled through with like covid in the last like few years with that one scene where they're like shipping people off to like quarantine and then they all get fucking put in a mass grave it's like this show is literally like the conservatives are right and on top of that what i find so compelling is that the romance is between two white gay guys. That's crazy. They don't do that ever. They ne- it's they, usually they like never. A, a mixed They're race. They're always mixed race couples. That's fine, whatever. But it's like, I have not seen them on like any massive stage in recent memory put two white guys on screen as gay men and then characterize, like, characterize them lovingly and not as like shrill little monsters like the way they kill people and like halloween for being gay and they were mask like they were max mask with their flannel shirts and like yeah it i mean i loved that episode like i thought i mean you know i shed a tear definitely you know i actually felt like this is corny because i'm not one of those like representation like matters people because i think that you should be able to just like Mm. connect on a human level with anyone whatever like color and stuff they are but it was nice to see that kind of character arc with two gay guys, which you usually wouldn't see. Um, I had a big problem with this episode, though, and I thought the episode was amazing, but I felt like... So, in the game, um, 
The game is completely different with how they do this, and this whole uh, adaptation was so faithful to the games, except for the fucking gay episode. Mm. And in the game, Joel and Ellie, they meet Bill, and it's after Frank has died, and Bill is just this bitter crackpot. And then you kind of find out that, like, Frank was miserable living with him and actually hated his guts and left their little safe haven town because he's like, you know what, I want to get out and experience fucking life and not be stuck here with you forever. And he gets bitten as soon as he tries to leave, but then he leaves this really sort of, like, bitter suicide note because he kind of kills himself because he's going to turn as a zombie. And the note is basically like, I fucking hate you, Bill. That's what Frank wrote. And, like, the whole point of this arc and this story in the game is that, like, Bill's character is supposed to sort of be, like, a cautionary kind of, like, sliding doors moment for Joel to show where, like, Joel would have ended up if he had just let his bitterness and fear and everything kind of consume his whole life forever. Um, But, you know, Ellie, obviously, you know, she helps him regain his humanity. She's kind of like a human vaccine, whatever. Mm -hmm. And Bill had that with Frank, except he chose not to kind of follow that path and... He just sort of didn't live his life. And, you know, I mean, we know people that are in, you meet people in real life all the time that just never take chances and never take risks and never get out of their own way. Mm. And they end up ultimately leading a really miserable life. And I kind of felt like that was really important for the story and for Joel's story. And then in the TV series, you know, they they adapt everything exactly as it is in the game, except this, where they had to turn it into this like beautiful, gay, tragic Romeo and Juliet love story, which was like beautiful. And I did cry, but I, that to me felt like they just had to give you the pandering gay episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously I would have been way more interested if they had done like gay people in hell, like fighting each other. They should have done like, um, like an hour long episode about it. That's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf of just like them just like going insane and like drinking and hating each other. Um, That would be obviously much more fascinating, but I will say that I feel like this episode is so strangely paced. It is weird when you're watching this show and it's like, it's the third episode. So we have two episodes of like, you know, development and then it basically just like all the way into some other different thing. And I feel like the show has some weird pacing problems. And like, I don't know. I feel as if they had kind of gone the route that you were suggesting by adapting the game more faithfully. That seems like it would have like flowed more smoothly as well. I think the plot was done quite flawlessly in the first game. And I mean, you also get, if you remember in the game, Mm -hmm. Joel and Ellie, like, yeah, they have a whole... Like, they have a whole scene where you go to Bill's town and Bill's still there and he's, like, crazy. And Ellie and Bill are, like, being, like, bitchy, cunty queens at each other and, like, throwing shade mm-hmm. at each other and stuff. And <laughs> that's really fun. And, like, Bill's a really interesting... I don't know. I just, They could have done more with it. They could have, like, had Bill tag along and had him for a few more episodes. Because there was a thing that this show did a lot where it would, like, introduce a new character for one episode and then they were dead like the the black guy, the black guy with the deaf nephew or whatever it was the um yeah the angry um woman that was leading the rebels army mm-hmm. uh you know obviously bill and frank and stuff like they would just come in for one episode and again that's like another thing that the video game does better is because it really like builds these long connections with all of these characters and you're so invested whereas in this they fit it all into eight episodes and 
yeah, there was just, like, something missing there. And then we have, like, the lesbian Left Behind episode where it's Ellie and her, um, oh, I don't know, her military school chum uh, first, you know, lesbian love that they break into, like, a shopping mall together and... It was one of the most boring episodes I've ever seen, mm. which is wild because the the that's a, it's an expansion pack of the original game that they added on after, and the game one it was like amazing. I thought that I mean I don't know are you on the same page or did you like that episode? Yeah, yeah, that episode is really a snooze, um, and I think the reason why it is so lacking in like the punch that we get in the Left Behind expansion is because that other gay episode happened five ago we already had a bottle episode where we're like doing something different we're moving out of the way of the main plot to focus on an emotional moment so they basically did the same thing twice which is you know okay but the other thing is that when you play um this left behind version it is like interstitial with scenes of like you looking to get like medicine and like find food for joel as you're playing as ellie and like fighting off like people around you um and so it kind of like has that um continuation feeling whereas here it like is completely like in the other lane you're removed and i thought it was just you know when you're playing the game and you like you get to go interact with these like arcade machines like the wonder of it is like so much more there and all the sets the set was really glamorous and i loved it for this episode it just feels like it was like not the right moment for it like they should have done what they did with um euphoria and they'd done like a a mid-season like in between seasons they should have done a one-off episode yeah there's a sense of like awe and wonder when you're exploring the levels in the game because they are so beautiful and detailed and you can look into like every crevice and then you're finding loot in strange places and then i feel like yeah after the lesbian episode i feel like they just started rushing things kind of at the end like the the episode when joel's sort of dying and then or he's incapacitated at least and then the um pedophile preachers trying to bang ellie that kind of just happened really quickly there wasn't a lot of development of him as like a villain i mean the walking dead is a terrible show we'll say and that show is the opposite of this where it drags on way too long where it'll go Mm -hmm. on for like three seasons of a boss but at least like you really get the flesh out of like oh my god you need to kill this bad person whereas there was they're almost wrapping this shit up like a monster of the week every episode of last of us you know and um Although I I will say, I think the best moment of, I think the most faithful moment to the game and to the essence of the games was when Ellie killed the pedophile when she was just stabbing him like maniacally in like a rage. Like that was so, that was very Last of Us part two. And by the way, that's a very um, conservative vibes, like killing the pedophile, you know? So I know (laughs) that's another God. Yeah, the pedophile, this is, like, a, a common trope in, like, apocalyptic media is that, like, the decadent, like, faggots become pedophiles and, like, eat people. Like, they always, like, link, like, in The Road by Cormac McCarthy, the only, like, splash of color that exists in the entire novel is when, like, the queer BDSM, like, cannibals are, like, marching down the street. And it's, like, they do that in, like, all apocalypse fiction. But I think the the kind of the pacing problem is that because the game is such, um, like, a strong adaptation of the first game, which kind of does have that, like, level feel to it, where, oh, you're going to this area on this part of the trip, 
this is your current problem you have to overcome. It does have the monster of the week quality. Um, and it just has too many antagonists. Like there's not like one antagonist like, over the course of the show. There's about seven. So when he has to break into the hospital to save Ellie from being operated on, um, I remember playing that in the game. You're like on the edge of your seat. You're like hearts pounding as you're going through those corridors, like shooting, you know, John Wick style. And I feel like they kind of just, it went too quickly a bit in the finale. But then, you know, I'm glad they kept, they kept the ending, which is again, the most important part. I read an interview actually that they almost considered like changing that ending. And I was like, if they had gotten rid of that ending and put some lame fucking Hollywood, like they would have ruined it. But did you see the discourse actually when the finale aired on Twitter? Because it was, um, there was like a mixture of people that were just like angry because it wasn't a generic like closed chapter closed ending, which was like very annoying to see. And then it was also just like a lot of people struggling with it kind of thematically trying to figure it out. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, I already had this. I already had this kind of like debate like 10 years ago and it's like Mm -hmm. funny because it's like one of the highest selling video games of all time, one of the most acclaimed, like you would think that like more people in general would be aware of it, but it's just like there's so many people out there that are just, they're just not aware of anything video game wise, you know? I read the New York Times comment section for this because that I knew was going to be riveting material. And it is fascinating that the moral question like, which is Joel um, basically decides that he is going to massacre like all of these people in his way so that he can save Ellie from being operated on and becoming a cure for this fungal infection. And basically, especially in the series, they make it so that you understand that he is literally dooming humanity and they could absolutely make a vaccine with it. So it's the moral like question of like, is your love for one person more worthwhile than like a brighter future? And uh, it was really interesting to watch people like toil with that question, having no knowledge of the game. And I think it actually really did get under people's skin and like really depress them. I I want to get into The Last of Us too, because I don't know how people are going to cope with that when they end up doing that. There's no way they're going to be able to I, there's no way they're going to be able to adapt The Last of Us too faithfully. I don't think to to screen. Um, Guys, okay, for people listening that haven't played The Last of Us 2 and you're, like, worried about spoilers, it's fine, okay? I, like I said, I fucking played the game 10 years ago. Like, you can play the game and still enjoy the show. And you know what? The fucking season two is not going to be out for, like, two years or something now. So, you can listen to us talk about The Last of Us 2. It's fine. You probably would have forgot fucking by the time that it premieres. So, The Last of Us 2 came out in 2020, right at the start of the pandemic. It was hugely controversial. Actually, probably one of the most, like, controversial video game launches ever. It got so much backlash for sort of being, quote-unquote, woke for doing things narratively and things with characters that um, people were just not okay with. I don't even know where to begin with this, like, flawed masterpiece because it is so brutal, it is so arduous, it's so, like, ambitious for a game, it's almost, like, hard to put into words. I mean, it's probably the most brutal and harsh video game maybe ever. Um, I mean, this has, like, multiple timelines playable flashbacks and nightmare sequences you play as the protagonist and the antagonist and then the story flips and then one becomes the other um 
Like, to give you guys, like, the plot, so it's set about five years after the first game, Joel and his brother Tommy and Ellie are living in some gorgeous little safe haven of a town with electricity and community and life, and it feels picture perfect, and they should probably just stay there forever, but Ellie has started growing really distant from Joel because she can't shake the feeling that he lied to her about the events of the first game, and I want to just mention before we, like get into all of it the wokeness at the beginning that set people off which was really dumb because i think people had you know there's a knee-jerk reaction now to sort of the weird woke liberalism that has infected media where now people to have no critical thinking skills so if they even see like a rainbow flag or something and they suddenly think oh my god it's gone woke like it must be terrible and it's like they can't switch their brain into just like, you know, watching it or enjoying it. And um, the start of the game really opens with, like, Ellie out as a lesbian in a romance with a very Jewish love interest. I mean, this I think there's a scene later in the game where the, the Jewish one is talking about, like, synagogue and, like, what a Jewish faith means to her. They definitely hammer, hammer a lot of the diversity stuff there. And then oh, yeah. there is a really... T- terrible line near the start about like a bigot sandwich i can't remember it's like someone's being homophobic to ellie yeah well i think people just become so deranged in the face of like politics they put so much of their identity and sense of self into these political rules they make about what's based and what's woke and what's red pilled and what's slay and it's like People put so much, like, emotional weight into it that when something doesn't necessarily fit right in with their politics that they're so obsessed with and have so much investment in, they break apart into messy, shrill little monsters. And I basically played The Last of Us Part 2. I I liked the first game and was interested to see, but, you know, I wasn't... I, I wasn't really, like, thinking I was going to go get it right away. I was like, I'll get it eventually. But as soon as that controversy whipped up, I was like... I gotta play. I gotta get in this right now. Because when something pisses off woke people, when it pisses off based people, when it pisses off everyone, that means it's saying the right kind of thing and what I want to hear. Yeah, this fucking outraged everybody because it's a classic revenge story, but not in the way you would think. So you start out playing as Ellie, and then you're also introduced to a new character named Abby, who you think is going to be another heroine. And long story short... You grow to like Abby, you play as her, and then she murders Joel, the most beloved PlayStation character of literally the last decade, like the icon of the PlayStation era, modern Mm -hmm. era. She brutally kills him with golf clubs while Ellie's held down and has to watch it. It's arguably, it's the most shocking video game death of all time, for sure. Like, imagine if Ripley was murdered in, like, aliens while jones the cat had to watch this was like worse so (laughs) this was (laughs) this was a lot and you feel like betrayed as a gamer which is intentional they want you to feel that way because like you just played as abby through the intro and like joel saves her life because she's about to get fucking trounced by the cordyceps clickers and zombies and whatever, the bloaters. And Joel and Tommy save her life, and you're growing fond of her, and then she just turns around, backstabs him, kills him in the most brutal way, bashing his face in with a fucking golf club, leaving him to bleed to death. And then you are so enraged that 
All you want to do is just be Ellie and, like, murder this fucking bitch. The game is so arduous and long, and the journey that it takes you to even get to Abby is, like, it's, like, hellish. And, I mean, this shook the, I feel like this shook the gaming community, like, as bad as Gamergate. Because it's, like, not only did they kill Joel, he was killed by a woman. And he was killed by a woman that looks like a man. Like, Ronda Rousey during her UFC game, UFC days was, like, more effeminate than this Abby character. It's like, to the point people thought she was trans. So, I kind of feel like that was so fucking ballsy and just so, like... I don't know. I just think it's incredible that they did that. I really think it's one of the most exciting things that's ever happened in like popular media to, it's so bold. I mean, who has the nerve to make a decision like that, which literally isolated so many people, people to this day will not get over the de- the death of Joel. And I think that's, you know, speaks a lot to like how, um, well, they crafted that character in the first game that people have that relationship with him. But even more than that, I feel like it points to a resounding lack of like critical like thinking <laughs> abilities in the the large populace because like you they all come up with the most like asinine excuses as to like why it's not okay. They're like, he needs to have a more dignified death. Why didn't he get to have a last line with Ellie? Like, what the fuck? You want him to get bashed in the head and be like, I love you forever, Ellie. No girl. Like, and then they're like, oh, but why did he get so trusting to like just tell his name to someone? He's like a mercenary. Like, he's been like fucking putzing around in this like luxurious plush city for like three years, girl. I really it's so stupid. And it's just people making excuses because they don't want to have to confront what this game is thematically saying to them. The game is definitely a litmus test. And if you like the game, you're a smart person. If you hate it, like you're stupid. It's kind of a fact. Like this it's game so is true. a test in that regard. It's literally true. <laughs> <laughs> it's black and white. Like if you don't get this game, you're stupid. And it doesn't mean that all hope is lost for you, but it does mean like you should probably go watch some of their, like, you know, analysis videos on YouTube and then come back and play it and, like, try to get on board because you're doomed in life if you can't, if you don't get this game. (laughs) And you start playing through as Ellie for the first half, trying to hunt down Abby. And, I mean, you're, you know, you have a bloodlust for Abby. I mean, I did. Like, I was so fucking angry and shocked and I was just like, I'm going to fucking kill that bitch. And then it's like... The most brutal journey ever. I mean, you're just crossing Seattle. Really, I think you're going a few blocks. And what you've got to, like, overcome to just get to, like, a simple destination, like, down the street is, like, it's just this blood-soaked journey. Ellie begins to lose herself. It's this, like, unquenchable, like quest for revenge that starts destroying her it starts destroying all of her relationships she starts losing herself the darkest moment is when you kill two of abby's friends her love interest and her love interest's (laughs) new girlfriend and you kill her and then you look and you're like oh she's heavily pregnant and ellie has to like face the fact that on this journey to, to get revenge, to avenge Joel's death. She's just, like, killed a pregnant woman who was, like, about to give birth. I mean, if that's not, like, one of the darkest moments in a video game, like, it's just shocking. I think for me, the most shocking scene in the entire game is when you have 
um, track down one of Abby's little compatriots, and you get her at into the end of a hall, and you pick up a fucking crowbar, and you are about to torture her for information. And the thing is, is that you have to press the button. You have to press square to hit this bitch with the fucking crowbar. And it is like a postmodern, like meta moment where you are sitting there with your controller, just not wanting to fucking do it and to press it. Like you do it like three times before like the scene will end. It is, it left me really shaken up and battered like playing that. The woman that she does that to is Nora, this cute black girl that seems perfectly nice. Yeah, you chase her into the bowels of this hospital, the bottom floor of this military hospital that's been, like, cordoned off. And it has this, I mean, it's full of, you know, the the most disgusting, evil versions of these cordyceps monsters and stuff. But, like... It's got this, like, red light that illuminates it where it looks mm-hmm. like hell. It looks like, um, like, Gaspar No, like, irreversible lighting. Yeah, it looks like the And you get to the end of... <laughs> yeah, it did. It looked like the fucking, like, the bowels of hell. And... Yeah, you get you you've got to push the fucking button and that's the point, that's the turning point in the game when you're like I don't want I don't want to get I don't want to avenge Joel's death anymore. Like I don't want to do it. And then they're like no, you've got to push the button. Like you've got to do it. And you've got to kill this woman. Um and then you get to the very end and of the, at least the first chapter of the game and then you found Abby whatever. And then the game switches. It goes back like three days. You've got to play it all over again, this time from Abby's perspective. So you're playing as the bitch that you hate that killed off your favorite character. And you've already just gone through. I mean, this game is this is a long ass game. There's a lot of like. It's like 25 hours. Play it really long. And it's, like, playable flashbacks that you're kind of like, I don't want to do this. Like, long scenes with, you know, playing the guitar that's kind of get boring and it's, like, and you can't skip it. And you've you've just gone through, like, this hell to get here. Now you've got to go all the way back and do it as Abby. And at first you're, like, mad and you're almost like, I don't think I want to play the next half of the game. Like, you almost kind of, like, want to give up. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you go through and then you start to like Abby And then you start to kind of understand Abby and then you see all these people along the way that you just killed without thinking as Ellie. Now you're seeing them as fully fleshed out human beings with backstories and relationships and a life. I mean, you even... You even um, bond with Abby's dogs. When you're playing Abby's dogs, right, she's sort of like throwing toys to the dogs and they're adorable and they're sweet. But the first time you played through as Ellie, these dogs are like savage sniffer dogs that are trying to kill you. And Mm -hmm. what's very unnerving that the game does too is I remember the first time as Ellie when the dogs came after me, I was like, I can't kill a dog. Like, I remember pausing the game. I went on my phone and I'm like, can I play Last of Us 2 without killing the dogs? And then they basically said no. So I was like, okay. And then I killed the first dog. And honestly, within killing like one or two of the dogs, suddenly I was like desensitized to it. And then I'm like laying down fucking landmines and like blowing the fucking dogs to pieces and not oh, giving I a love shit. Blowing up the dog. And- <laughs> I love I love the animal death in The Last of Us. I think it's funny. Not <laughs> it's it's just because like people get so pissy about like dead animals. Like people are like, no, don't kill the dog. I'm like, no, kill the fucking dog. I want to like cut that dog's leg off with a knife. Like I want like, get it. It's because that's, well, that's I like that's I why like they did it because it'll of piss that you off that way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, because you like you said, yeah, exactly. it's like, don't kill the dog. So then they make you fucking kill the dog. And then on top of killing the dog, then they make you play as Abby, where the dog is actually an adorable pet that you, like, throw the toy to, and it has, like, a name. And it's, like, a loyal pet that brings, like, all this kind of love and affection to these people's lives. And then as I went through playing the Abby chapter, by the end of it, I um I liked Abby way more than Ellie. And oh, by the way, for people listening that don't know, I should tell you like the twist throughout Abby's journey, you find out that um, her father was the doctor that was uh, trying to operate on Ellie in the first game to get the vaccine to save mankind. Joel obviously burst through, shot the doctor, I mean, killed everyone in the hospital except for Ellie and left with Ellie. And from, you know, Abby's perspective, she's avenging her father's death, as well as like the thousands of people that would have been saved by this vaccine. Joel is the villain in Abby's story. And you're supposed to empathize with Abby. That's the whole point by the, I mean, it's a challenge. They make it as hard as possible for you to do it, but then you get there and it's like, yeah, I still see people online when I was looking up the reviews before we did this, um, that still hate the game and like, didn't get that. And they were still, by the end of it, they were like, no, fuck that bitch. Like, she killed Joel. And, I mean, that, again, shows, like, the emotional immaturity of a lot of gamers out there that they, like, couldn't get to that point, you know? Mm. Yeah, it really depresses me how difficult it was for people to, like, swallow this because I don't understand how you just can't move the emotional, like, cogs in your mind to, like, realize that, like, what Abby did to Joel is what Joel did to Abby's dad. And, like, if you had been playing the first game from the perspective of Abby, you would have wanted to do The Last of Us Part Two as Abby and, like, go kill Joel. And, like, that's the whole point of the fucking game, is to tell you that that is a fruitless exercise in misery and that... I I love how deep it gets with this idea that, like, love can be truly monstrous and evil and can twist you into this horrible version of yourself. And if you can't, like just open your eyes up like look a little deeper you're not realize that's what it's saying i mean yeah you're a lost cause you gotta you gotta wake up (laughs) it's the most obvious theme of the game too because there's like a lot to it that's the one that really they really hit you over the head with and then people still were like not getting Mm -hmm. it um Abby obviously has this, like, whole love triangle storyline where there's one scene, an infamous scene online, where she gets fucked. And it is kind of outrageous because she straight up looks like a man. Uh, she looks like a dude. Like, it's it's wild. Also, her love interest, Owen, <laughs> looks just like... Well, okay, her love interest, Owen, is so fucking hot. Like, and I think her dad is oh, yeah. really hot. And um, I was going over it again, and I realized Owen and her dad, like, look the same. So, it's, it's clearly meant to be she sort of has daddy issues and went for a guy that looked like her dad. Mm-hmm. And she's just a big beefcake that wants to be loved. I love her. But, okay, I just need to... As far as, like, the woke stuff with because this obviously she got a lot of backlash for looking like a man and stuff um and it was unrealistic that she was unrealistically jacked for someone that was living in a post-apocalyptic world i think even if you were like you know working out in part of this like military and stuff in terms of like the sustenance and everything you could get um she looked like she was on steroids and i just thought it was very interesting because neil Druckmann, the creator he essentially turned both Abby and Ellie into men because Ellie was a tomboy lesbian who had just pretty much exclusively male interests. It was dinosaurs, shooting, comic books, like literally every like stereotype thing that like little boys like she was into. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Abby was literally looked like a fucking man. Um, like if you, I mean, they cut her hair short at the end and you can't tell that it's a woman. Uh, by the way, side note, but I did love that Ellie was a lesbian. So I wasn't, I didn't have a problem with that. And I actually thought it enhanced the character because it was fun to be like, I'm a badass, like tomboy lesbian that's like kicking ass, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I loved like the dykiness to that, but I was just kind of like, I don't know. I just was like confused about the message because I'm like, well, are they trying to tell you that you've got to be a fucking, you can only survive in this world as a man? Or is this like a negative commentary on masculinity? Like men are bad because they lacked a certain feminine empathy and softness, which sort of destroys them because the way they go on these vengeful quests with this bloodlust, it's almost like the angry guy at the bar the Neanderthal man at the bar that wants to, like, punch somebody's head in and can't, like, see, you know, any anything else except that. So, I actually couldn't tell if this was meant to be a, a positive commentary on masculinity or, like, negative or what. I think it might be a little negative, honestly, because, like, when you think about the portrayal of, like, Dina, which is, of course, Ellie's, like, lesbian girlfriend, she's pregnant with, <laughs> as well, and... Uh, in the like final third of the game, they do return to this like bucolic farm, and you really think that like oh life is going to be beautiful, and they really portray like Dina as like you know this like loving motherly like soft like feminine like creature with her baby on the farm, and of course like then Ellie like get, throws that all away so she can continue her uh, bloodlust path for vengeance. So you do see her like rejecting femininity and spiraling into like merciless masculinity um so i guess it might be a little bit critical of it but no one's doing anything in these games unless they're a you know big man dressed as a woman so (laughs) (laughs) i know by the way i just when you were describing dina in the house it's actually very um i can't remember the director's name but you know jennifer lawrence in mother (laughs) she has a bit of that vibe oh yeah it's aronofsky (laughs) yeah for sure yeah yeah (laughs) In the in the in the beautiful house, um, yeah, and yeah. When you play as Ellie, yeah, so you you're accompanied by her her Jewish girlfriend Dina, which I actually love. They give you a sidekick, and they always have like banter and stuff because it's um, it's really comforting because it is a really long and grueling game. That it's nice that they give your character it's very like a sidekick. And scary so too. Well, when the sidekick leaves, because then you get comfortable with the sidekick and then there'll be a thing where for some reason the sidekick, you know, can't come down whatever the elevator shaft and you've got to go down there by yourself to like find the key or whatever. And then it's just like total torture. And um, Abby's sidekick is this transgender Asian child named Lev. Um, This is okay. This for me is where I draw the line because I I accept all of the other wokeness in this because I feel like it's not really like I feel like a lot of the other the backlash to that was just like ridiculous culture war stuff. But I have to say this and Mm -hmm. I do love Lev anyway as a character, but this is where I like have to serve some Tucker Carlson real realness because a transgender 13 year old, first of all, like would not exist in this world, um, especially fleeing like a religious Amish cult where they, they wouldn't even know what this is. And even if they like actually had gender dysphoria, they wouldn't be acting out on it, acting out on it at this age under these circumstances. Like maybe when they're older, they would be doing something with it. But I, to me, it just felt so completely unrealistic and then on top of that lev is definitely like probably the the most like pure character in the whole game i guess besides like dina i mean he's like 
he's wise beyond his years and he quotes religious scriptures, but only like the meaningful, uh-huh. philosophical, positive, like love thy neighbor kind of stuff where it's like everyone else in his little tribe that follows this religion is like a member of the Westboro Baptist Church or something, or, is, you know, it's like a pedophile because I think they're trying to marry Lev off to some, some elder in the church. Yeah. And I just kind of felt like, and again, I, I loved Lev anyway, and I loved the, like the relationship between Lev and Abby was incredible, but I just felt like that character was developed by the purple haired diversity hire at the studio that insisted oh, no, on, it like, was we need 100%. to tell important stories. I know that it was Neil Druckmann. Like, Neil Druckmann is, like, he has like, definitely, like, power fantasies about, like, this kind of, like, uh, social justice thing. But I think because of this, like, angelic, like, perfect being portrayal of, like, Saint Lev, like, this little, this little trans boy and his little haircut, like, running around, um, I feel like it is more interesting because it, like, reveals, like, kind of, like, uh, what, like, people really do think about, like, the tortured trans kids of, of the world. Like, that portrayal of him is kind of exactly what they all imagine, when in fact, like, it's not really like that at all. <laughs> it's like detransitioners that are like, I've mutilated my body and I'm like, more suicidal than before. It's like, like a hellscape. Um, and my yeah. weird liberal, like, Hillary Clinton voter mother did this to me. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, they eventually make, like, Lev and Abby as the new Joel and Ellie. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, when you kind of end it, you end up on this, like, utopian ranch with Dina as the, with the raising their baby, the perfect lesbian couple, Ellie and Dina, and then you feel, you feel like the game's over. I mean, they're surrounded by little lambs. It's like, literally the most picturesque, like, postcard thing. And then... She's like, so Ellie's suffering from like PTSD and she actually decides, no, I need to finish what I start and I actually really do need to kill Abby because you've already sort of like closed that chapter. But then she's like, no, I'm going back out there. And it's like another fucking like five hours of gameplay, which is wild. Like I remember sitting there thinking, I finished the game and then I'm like, oh, here we go again. Like it just is like relentless. Did you feel like a spiraling like dread in your gut when you realize that there is more game because i was like oh this is kind of a shitty ending i'm like this isn't like oh like everything's great whatever and then i was like wait 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 no i want it to be this no 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 i'm I'm sorry it was like the monkey's paw and then you just like feel like this like gut punishing like dread in your stomach like the second that you start going back out to fucking california like no 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 i can't do this anymore (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was, it's it's yeah you feel like you're being fucking dragged there and then this ends up almost being with the exception of the um irreversible like tire iron smashing of abby's friend it you get to the next sort of darkest portion of the game because what you by the time you get to the end you find that abby and lev who you've grown to like love um have been captured by some kind of like bikey slave trader fringe yeah slave traders who have like worked them to death and then be they've strung them up on these giant wooden poles on the beach to die and there's like crows circling and it literally looks like purgatory it's the most evil looking place and then you're playing as ellie at this point and you come down and you're like 
cut them down, and Abby's first reaction is she walks over, gets Lev, picks up Lev in her arms and starts walking towards this little dinghy on the shore because she wants to get away. And then Abby, uh, Ellie's like, no, we need to finish this. And then they have the most brutal knife fight. It's kind of like that sauna knife fight in Eastern Promises, and they're just like gouging at each other with these switchblades in the surf. And, I mean, you're looking at Abby and her hair's being cut off because she's been tortured. She's just covered in, <laughs> like, wounds. It is – and she's just being, like, slashed to shreds. And this is another, like, Nora-type scene where the game's, like, making you do this. You're like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually tried to let Abby kill – I was like, what happens if I just let Abby win? And then it's, like, game over and you've got to, like, do it. Like, you, you have to, like, see it through. Then Ellie finally goes back home – she comes back home. Um, the house is empty. Dean is gone. The baby's not there. They pretty much left all their shit except for Ellie's, which they've left there. And then there's this guitar that Joel taught her to play. Joel got her a guitar sort of before he died. And then, like, she goes to play the guitar, but because her fingers were fucking cut off in the knife fight with Abby, she can't, can't play the guitar play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like the, the game like en- that the game ends with her not being able to play the guitar with her fucking fingers missing and <laughs> alone in the house it's crazy it's literally crazy that knife fight is one of the most harrowing things i've ever experienced from art in my entire life because like you said you don't want to do it at all and it is so brilliant to me that the game was able to like so fully like transform like the player's own like understanding of it from like your immediate bloodlust and like your desire to get back at Abby. And then like that sensation you feel with that amazing soundtrack of that bass song, just going <laughs> like, no, no, that's how it feels like make this go on longer. Oh my God, make it stop. And then all you're left with is like no fingers, can't play the guitar and your memories of your dead hot daddy. The game is, like, the game fucking tortures you. But, yeah, I mean, both games, like, they really subvert storytelling, too, because the first game is, like, it almost it presents it presents itself as, like, a generic, we have to save the world. And then at the end, you, you know, actually purposely don't save the world by choice, and then you lie about it. And then part two is a revenge story, which you think is just going to be sort of a, a typical, like, Death Wish sort of vibe. And then you actually don't get revenge, and you have to play half the game as the person that you wanted to get revenge on. Um it's a little bit more like I saw the devil. That's just a, have you seen that Korean film? I saw the devil where he just hacks through the whole. Yeah. And it's, that's another revenge is bad thing. You know, (laughs) it's like, what did I do all this for? Um, I also think the games really resonate post COVID. Like the opening scenes of part one, when the military like cruelly gunned down Joel's daughter to like stop the spread. And then everyone's locked in these military zones and it's, you know, they're they're technically they're safe from the outside world, but they're all fucking miserable because it's like, well, what what is my life without freedom and purpose and risk and like mm-hmm. a reason to go through all this? So I mean, the games are even more impactful post COVID, but yeah, I think incredible, like both masterpieces, especially part two and even the flaws of part two like there were definitely times in part two when i was playing it where it'll be like oh my god another like abandoned building that i have to go into that i know is just going to be a living i'm going to be in here for like four hours just slashing my way through zombies and getting jump scares as they pop out of the walls and stuff and Mm -hmm. you know it's just 
even the things that I felt were like either boring me or felt tedious, like in when you finish the whole game and I look back, I kind of love that about it. Like, I love that it, like, put me, me through the fucking ringer, like, the characters. Like, I felt like it beat me down, and I appreciate it. Yeah, because I think, honestly, like, the, you know, revenge bad theme is pretty simple, and everyone is kind of, they should be aware of it. I mean, clearly from the response to this game, that's obviously not the case. But, <laughs> you know, like, I really feel as if where the game kind of becomes, like, an artistic masterpiece and, like, truly, like, one of the few published you know blockbuster games that can make the argument that games are an art form is in that it is kind of an expansion of the big moral quandary of the first game and like that scene when you have to be the one who shoots the doctor to continue it whether you want to or not this is like the only game series i've ever played that actively utilizes the mechanics and actual like interface of playing a game and turns it into this like dramatic engine um, of torment and weathering the storm it is exhausting and really brutal and honestly very stressful and unfriendly but i just feel like nothing else has ever made like such a clear and transient like comment about violence than um what the last of us did it's really breathtaking yeah and like i mentioned right at the start when i was comparing the game to the hbo series like you just for people listening that don't play video games or whatever like you'll never you'll never fully understand the experience and the themes and everything if you haven't actually played through. And I know people like to be snobs about video games still. People like to think, oh, video games is just something that teenage boys play or, like, guys that don't have jobs that are just, like, stupid and play Call of Duty. It's like, well, you don't get it. And then the people that did play it and still didn't get the game, you don't fucking get it either. Um, Do you have any hopes and thoughts for, like, part three? Because, I mean, we don't know anything about part three or even, like, if it's going to come out. I'm sure it will eventually. Yeah, they're working that multiplayer game, which I couldn't give a fuck about. I hate multiplayer. I I play video games to not interact with people, not, you know, to interact more with people, particularly not teenagers and, like, rowdy, vulgar little boys. So, (laughs) I I think for part three, I have absolutely no idea what they could do with it or what they want to say with the rest of the franchise. So, I would just let them say what they want to say. And as for the next season of The Last of Us, they are, in fact... I'm going to do part two over different, like multiple seasons. And they said they're not like deviating very far from it. It's going to be the same thing. So I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, for the next game, I want to play as Abby and Lev. I'm actually kind of done with Ellie. I mean, I think we need to have a little bit. I do want a little bit of. Cl- I mean, I don't want some fucking ambiguous like art house ending where it's like, I don't know what happened mm-hmm. to Ellie. Like, I would like some kind of finality to it whether it's good or bad, but I actually want to play more as Abby and Lev. And I actually would say that Abby, by the end of it, is one of my all-time favourite video game characters. Um, I like too. her more than Ellie and and Joel. And, like, that's my mama, Queen Abby. Uh, and, yeah, I, I don't know what they would do for the third. I feel like the, I feel like the very obvious um, generic thing would be, and I hope they would be able to do it in a way that would surprise you, would be, be probably Ellie, like, fulfilling her destiny of sacrificing herself to sort of save the human race, which that would be very generic. But, I mean, I still feel like, I mean, I'm confident with, like, Neil Druckmann that he could probably do it in a way that would surprise you or would not be um, Mm -hmm. in a sort of, like, typical expected way. But 
Yeah, are there any other games that you're you're playing? Are you like gaming at all at the moment or are you like off it? Um I'm replaying a game because the I'm so popular season three finale is coming up, so I have been picking out a game, which is uh Shin Megami Tensei three Nocturne, one of my biggest artistic influences of all time, and the only game that's more brutal and difficult and like stressful than The Last of Us Part Two is, is that game. And it's just like a JRPG like set in like the ruins of uh Tokyo after like a world ending demon event. Um it's fantastic. They just released a pretty good remaster for it on like the Switch and PS4 and stuff. So I, I highly recommend it to everyone if they can if they can swallow the pain because it is a it is a nightmare to get through. It's very challenging. I um mm-hmm. was telling you last time we recorded I was deep into alien isolation, which is fucking incredible. I think I'm gonna go on a podcast to talk about that actually in the next few months. But uh I kind of had a little break from that and now I'm finding it hard to get reimmersed because you have to just be very yeah. you have to be in that world and you can't like jump because I think because I had to prepare for this podcast as well, then it shifted my brain back to Last of Us and it was kind of like hard. And then I'd also been playing um Death Stranding, which another masterpiece that's like beautiful. But um totally. that's definitely definitely another very kind of immersive game that you have to commit to. And I actually bought, um, because I've never played, I played The Last of Us Remastered like you did. I didn't play the part one ground up remake of it. And Mm -hmm. I bought that a few weeks into the show, which was so expensive. I'm like, can you guys please knock the price down? I was telling myself, like, I'm not going to buy this game at full price because they're still charging like a hundred bucks for it. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Because I waited for Last of Us 2, I got- I know it's still hundred dollars, and the game's technically like ten years old. Um, and then after I watched, it was one of the better episodes that I watched of the series. I like impulsively was like, I must have it, and then I bought it, and then I like <laughs> turned it on. And because I had actually replayed The Last of Us, I think in twenty twenty when the pandemic started, um, I just was like, no. Nah. I'm just, I'm like, it's too soon. I actually can't, I can't go back and be rifling through all these drawers and rooms for like ammo. And I kind of just want to get straight to the, um, like, I sort of want to get straight to the, like, killing the pedophile and the more sort of fun parts of it. But the start of it, it just like Testel around and stuff. I miss my girl, Abby. I miss her. (laughs) I miss hanging out with Abby. I want to go chill with her. I need to get a blunt with Abby. I love her. I know. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for recording. I know we've been trying to do this for a while. And, you know, I wanted you for this since, like, basically since the HBO series premiered. I'm like, you'll be perfect for this because I knew that you would get it. And you actually, um, I think when we talked, I hadn't finished i don't think i'd finished part two yet and i was still kind of like trying to process it in my mind because it's a lot like Mm -hmm. it's just a lot all of it and you had a lot of the good takes about like how you loved you know abby and lev and stuff and then by the time i got to the end like i got it and then i was like yeah you definitely get this game and um i even i've had a lot of people i'm actually interested to the feedback to this episode because when i started playing last of us 2 and i was like tweeting about it and stuff a lot of people were kind of responding like, oh, I'm, you know, I want to know what you guys are going to think about it just because, you know, it was the most, most controversial game ever. Anyway, um, you have an amazing podcast. I'm so popular. I was on there recently. Actually, we did a really great episode about an insane uh, Japanese idol group. And I had some of my listeners messaging me that 
because I knew that a lot of them that are like so unfamiliar, like wouldn't give it a chance, even though I was like telling them to. But then like I did have a bunch of people that actually did. And they were like, wow, I don't know anything about Asian pop music. I never thought that I would listen to people talk about it. And I loved the episode and you guys were so interesting discussing it. So, you know, you have a great pod. What are some of the, um, what are some of the topics you've done recently? Um, so, uh, we just did um, like a Bright Easton Ellis novel called Lesson Zero, which is quite famous. And uh, I, uh, I think this week uh, we did a really like esoteric Japanese drama called The Queen's Classroom. It's amazing. You would love it. I know, I know that. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Yeah, I've seen the the photos of it and everything. It's very in- infamous. Oh, yeah, because it's just, like, this crazy fascist teacher torturing, like, children for 11 episodes until everyone realizes that, like, oh, like, this is how things should be, like, thank God, and it has, like, these crazy soap opera, like, mud-drowning child death, like, abortion, like, bloody battles, like, between the—oh, it's just so amazing. So, we're gonna do that, and, uh, Michelle Foucault's, uh— Discipline and punish. So that'll be really, it's a great episode. And then I think after that, Amuro Namie, the one of the most important Japanese pop stars of all time. So it's a big conversation. Yeah. Woo. Yes. And a, a pioneer in single mumdom too, like the OG teen mom. Um, <laughs> we love her. Um, okay. Thank her you so much. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, check out um, check out Zach's podcast. I'm so popular. It's great. I'll have the links to it in the show notes as always. And I will see you guys. Guys, I don't know when I'm going to see you because I don't know if I'm going to record another episode before I go to LA or not. So I'll see you when I see you. Bye.